To be demoralized means to be deflated of all that makes you strong. To have too many bad and discouraging things happen to you until you lose your mental clarity, you lose your drive to bring good into the world, you definitely get disempowered. But it takes that disempowerment one terrible step further to where you lose your awareness or valuing of what is good. When you're demoralized, you turn away from what is good and true and morally right. You don't even know what good is anymore. You can't detect what is right or what's important. And when you're demoralized, you believe that good is, you know, whatever I want it to be, whatever everybody says. And many people will tell you that this is the case, that it's totally subjective and it's rude to assume you know wrong from right. But if you really believe this, that what is good is unknowable, or that seeking what is good is rude, then everything becomes meaningless and pointless. No wonder we get demoralized. Now, when we're in that state, it's almost impossible to imagine that anything we do can make a difference. Has this happened to you? Trauma can definitely do that to a person. And if that's where you are right now, it is so important that you start healing it. Now, in my work, helping people heal from past trauma, one thing that's really painful to see is how many people have completely written off any possibility that healing is possible. And I see this in the YouTube comments mixed in with everything else. It's too late for me. Or what about if nobody cares about you and nobody ever helped you? Or things like anyone who was traumatized just becomes a target for narcissists. So it's best to just avoid people because people suck. These are the things that people say when they're demoralized. Their belief that good exists in the world and within them, that good can come into their lives and change their experiences and their circumstances, it's been shut down. And you can hear by the cynicism and the scolding tone of this kind of comment that it's painful for them to hear messages of hope. They come to the channel, they watch a video, which is a hopeful act, by the way, but something snaps shut and won't allow them to apply it to themselves. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. If you can't let help in, healing gets a lot harder. And that's why demoralization is really what we're healing when we're working to heal trauma. We're reactivating that instinctive and universal connection to what is true and good. We could debate what is true and struggle to know truth, but truth is truth, whether we've figured it out or not. It doesn't change depending on what mood you're in. We know there's evil in the world. We know there's good. And mostly people are good. Now, whatever you read online or you see in the news, mostly people spend their days cooperating with each other, helping each other, doing work that's mostly to serve the cause of good. And yes, there are exceptions. And when you're demoralized, your mind tells you that the exceptions prove that the rule that, you know, most people, including you, are pretty good. Well, it can't be true. That's what your mind tells you in demoralization. That kind of thinking is a hallmark of demoralization. And it can bring the worst out in people. And it can do a lot of damage. Demoralization has happened to people throughout history. They fell into it or they were intentionally manipulated into it. It happens to little communities and it happens to whole countries. And this is very dangerous because when people are demoralized, they're very, very susceptible to a loss of unity. They turn against each other. They're quick to anger. They're full of fear. They're quick to blame and they're easily led. And if hearing this makes you think of other people like that, 
I'm going to suggest that that's exactly what demoralization wants you to think. It wants you not to look at yourself. It wants you to blame other people by categories or individuals and ignore anything that you can actually change for the better. Demoralization needs you to grow cynical, to turn your back on problems and stop trying. Whole generations have lived through cycles of demoralization and then come through on the other side toward, what can we call it? Remoralization. The recovery of a lived sense that good is possible and that with our innate goodness, if we work on it, we can make it real in the world. Now, I feel strongly about this in terms of childhood PTSD, that healing can only happen when we fix our eyes on a vision of what is possible and not keep expecting that focus on what happened in the past is going to change anything. Yes, you may need to discuss it or get it acknowledged, but the focus goes on the vision. If you don't have a vision, there's nothing to do but go in circles with your trauma. The solution, the change, comes from focusing on what is holding you back right now. If you grew up traumatized, believe me, life is full of problems. It's part of what trauma does. Now, it's not your fault that you were abused and neglected and bullied as a kid, but sooner or later you realize that no one is coming to fix that for you. Even if you could make all these problems, you know, stop existing in the world, the injury already happened. And so now it's in your hands to begin working on that injury, to change your life from exactly where you are right now. It's a good place to start. Now, some of you will get angry when I say that. You'll unsubscribe, you'll you know, say terrible things in the comments, you'll shut off the video, and that's okay, because I'll still be here when that little glimmer of good shows up in your life and you want to come back. And whether you want it or not, hope is going to appear. Hope is here that maybe things can get better. So this is a powerful and positive sign when you feel hope that even though you may be discouraged and demoralized right now, the truth of you is very much alive and there's a great well of strength in you, a light. And not only is it meant to shine, but it's meant to shine right now. It's shining right now. Can you feel that? That light in you dissolves cynicism. Hopelessness gets diluted by hope. Hope has a way of growing. All right. How? What are you even talking about, Anna? People are going to be like, all right, enough about that. What do I do? What do I do? Your demoralization is like a heavy cloak. All right. Think of it that way. It presses you down. It covers you. It makes everything feel heavy and impossible. It keeps you from knowing that you can actually take it off. Demoralization tends to follow certain patterns. It manifests in a handful of problems, ordinary human weaknesses that can become big problems. They can dominate your life. Things like avoidance, anger, indifference, overwhelm, isolation, escapism, and blame. Demoralization loves more than anything when you blame. And you might recognize some of these things in yourself. And if you're demoralized, you're going to tell me, but I have to be angry. I have to avoid responsibility and blah, blah, blah. And I get it. I totally do. You didn't ask for these problems. You can't just snap your fingers and say some dumb affirmation and make them gone. If you're like I was, you don't even know what to do. You can ask experts and they give you platitudes, but nothing practical. If it's all touchy feely and out of touch with with how rough and how ugly life gets when trauma is active, what is it worth? When I was trying to get help for what was basically life-threatening demoralization, I was instinctively looking for what I did wrong. And the people I asked for help wanted to get me to 
not look at that. I think they thought I was too vulnerable to face my own responsibility for some of the problems in my life. And, I, you know, at, at that point, it was it was a lot me who was generating the problems. But I was in denial. And I think I was getting helped by some of the people that I was, you know, paying to help me. But I knew nothing would get better until I figured out how to stop basically acting like a bad person. I was pushing everyone away. I mean, the fact was there. And I craved, I craved to know, like, how do I become good? And the person who did help me affirmed that for me. She said I was screwing up and she told me I needed to stop screwing up. And the old fashioned word for this is renounce. Now, if you think this is too judgmental or ancient, you're not demoralized enough yet to, to experience the delicious comfort of the word renounce. I renounce it. I renounce this behavior. I renounce this problem. It's something that you can do even before you even understand, like, why do I even do it? How am I going to do it? It's just like, I do though. I renounce it. I needed to renounce those negative think thoughts and tendencies and behaviors that I was engaged in back then. That was the first thing I had to do. Nothing else could work because my thinking and my actions and my beliefs, the way I affected other people was, it was confusing to me because I was demoralized and I was demoralized because of what I was doing. A demoralized mind can't easily see an alternative or come back from demoralization. Something has to show you the alternative. Uh, you, you know, sometimes by grace, it will be shown to you. You will stumble into it and go, you know what? I could be better than this, but sometimes it's just a person. If, if you need me, I'll be the person who suggests to you that you take a look at the signs of demoralization in your life and spend some time with them and then decide if you're ready to turn away from them, here's a simple thing you can do. It's called contrary action. You may not know yet exactly where you need to end up, but it's enough to know you want to turn away from what you're doing now and begin to basically do the opposite. Okay, so let's go over those signs I mentioned of demoralization, avoidance, anger, indifference, overwhelm, isolation, escapism, and blame. I'm going to describe them to you and then I will tell you how to turn each one around using contrary actions, the opposite. Now you actually have the power to do that. And yes, everyone has circumstances that are challenging to one degree or the other. Big problems, I know. But this is about finding that little light inside, that little ray of hope. And it's about, most of all, action. And I know a lot about action because for all the thinking and reading and talking that I ever did about my problems, the thing that ever made a difference for me was the actions I took. Now, I spent a lot of my life demoralized and what changed was not my circumstances first. It was me who changed. All right. Now, if this bothers you hearing me talk about how I did it when I, you know, instead of like blamey talk or flowery talk or little Instagram wisdom, just straight talk on how to actually like take action to make your life new, then this is not a good video for you. I'll just give you that heads up right now. All right. So let me tell you the signs of demoralization one by one, and then I'll tell you the contrary action, the thing that you can do to remoralize yourself around that problem. Number one, avoidance. This is very popular with people who are traumatized as kids. People are triggering, uh, commitments are triggering, so we end up just pulling away and avoiding it. Your contrary action is to show up, to get clear about what you need to be doing, and people who you need to stay connected with. 
You also are going to want to stay connected to the actions, just the little tasks in your daily life that keep your life moving. So what is it? Paying a bill, apologizing to someone, returning a phone call, spending a full evening with someone you love without looking at your phone or watching TV. Yeah, <laughs> you can make a list of these things and then prioritize the things that you really need to be taking action on. Make those appointments, follow through on them. Every Sunday night, make a new list. That's what I do, Sunday nights. All right, the second sign of demoralization is anger. Now, I don't have to explain what anger is. It's something that people with complex PTSD often have too much of. It comes out and hurts people. Your contrary action is to release those resentful thoughts that hold your thinking in an iron grip of anger and block you from feeling joy. If you want a way to loosen up your anger, I strongly encourage you to try my daily practice techniques. And um, you may want to write that down for after you finish the video. I will definitely put a link at the end of this video, and it's always down in the description section if you want to learn these techniques to free yourself of fearful and resentful thinking. But these techniques are deceptively simple. I've been using them 29 years. They're very powerful to help you face and be rid of angry and anxious thoughts. And when you learn how to move all that stuff out of the way for a while, because they do come back. You just keep doing it. That's why it's a daily practice. You experience a clear and peaceful mind and you are going to want that feeling again. Trust me, it feels good. All right. Number three is indifference. This is another sign of demoralization and it's where you get so numb that you don't really care one way or the other what happens. A lot of traumatized people have been heavily criticized in the past, maybe bullied, ostracized, or demeaned in a relationship, dumped. And to survive all that, you learn to just act like, I don't even care. You can't even hurt me. And I get it. In the past, you had to do whatever it took to deal with the shame and the disgrace and the loss of people treating you like that, not caring about you. So you bragged about not caring about them or yourself. You know, they were a dick, whatever. This, this may scare you, but any awake person sees right through that. It's a cry of pain to say you don't care. Of course you care. And you don't have to shield yourself from that anymore because it's a lie. You know what I used to shield myself with? Cigarettes. I used to smoke two packs of a day for like 16 years. And I loved how I could just hang a cigarette out of my mouth and frown and go blowing out smoke in a way that told other people, I don't even freaking care. It was like an armor I wore. I was actually really sad. I was really angry and I had no idea what to do with that. Um, that wouldn't just wreck all, everything in my life. Right. Just so I just like, <sighs> and I smoked that anger. God help my lungs. Then I stopped and it took a lot of tries to stop, but I did stop. I have a video about that. I'll try to remember to put that down below if you want to see it. But at first I would stop smoking. I'd start, I'd stop, I'd start. And then one day I had the power to renounce it. All right. I told you we talk about renouncing and I was able to use the contrary action. And in my case, that was to start doing my daily practice techniques twice a day for real without fail. And then the anger and the fear began to leave me. And I couldn't trust it until I knew with certainty that the daily practice would keep working for me, that it would be a reliable way to feel better as needed and not turn out to be some crazy cult thing that just failed like everything else. It took a few years for me to really trust that. And that's when the smoking stopped. It's now been 26 years as I stand here taping this, almost exactly 26 years this month. 
All right, number four, overwhelm. This is still one that's hard for me. It's a sign of demoralization. It also leads to demoralization. I think that's probably true of all the signs. They are caused by demoralization and they cause worse demoralization. I'm the queen of overwhelm. It still happens. When I let myself get demoralized, my life, which is full and good and interesting, instantly becomes too much for me and I hate my life. And I get mad and I start procrastinating and hyperventilating and dysregulating and I'm no use to anybody. And the contrary action for me is to slow down. I make a list. I like lists. You may not. I do. <laughs> I have a little digital thing called Kanban Flow. You know, it's, it's, it's a free app. If it costs money, I'd get a deal where I get kickbacks every time I recommend this to people because I think thousands of people are using it. But it's, it's really simple and you can just make these columns, make little tasks, you can slide them into other columns, you can name the columns, you can color code things. I do that for how long it takes. It's, it's just totally how I handle things. Every morning I just get up and look at my board and I see what I've got and I just love noodling with it. And it's, it's got all these like, you know, nether regions <laughs> off screen. If you were to scroll all the way over, it's like, oh, here's some old stuff I meant to do like two years ago. So one thing that's always on my list is to clean up the board and I never do, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is enough that I keep this area of it clear of what I'm going to do. And in fact, like taping these videos is on it today and it's color coded pink because it was going to take me two and a half hours. I already know that, right? So if you have childhood PTSD, it can feel so good to just take one thing at a time. Your brain loves it when you slow down and you do things one thing at a time. You don't have to be methodical all day long. You could just get this way when you get overwhelmed. I don't know, you might wanna do an ounce of prevention, but when you're overwhelmed, just consider it time to slow down and start doing things one thing at a time. That whole multitasking thing, you know, they say, oh, it's a myth that multitasking is possible or good, but I think that's also a myth. It's like sometimes we multitask successfully, sometimes we're too dysregulated and we just need to slow down and just, just be like Mr. Rogers about it. Sit down, take out the shoes, take off the shoes, <laughs> put on the shoes, tie the laces. It feels good. It's very calming and regulating for your mind. If your CPTSD is shaped kind of like mine, sometimes you get emotionally or mentally overwhelmed when you're hurried, when everyone's talking to you at once, when there's a big deadline coming up or something really exciting happened. When that feeling that you're just <gasps> getting overwhelmed is rising up in you, renounce it. Just say, that's this is overwhelm. I renounce overwhelm. I'm not into it anymore and allow yourself to pause and have new opportunities, a new way of dealing with it, enter into your imagination. Pause, imagine, just let something new come. You'll get things done faster this way. It's true, try it. All right, five. Another sign of demoralization is isolation. Oh, this is the favorite around here. This is the biggest and most universal trauma symptom. It's a natural response to feeling triggered around people, not trusting yourself. It's a little like avoidance is not doing tasks. Isolation is not doing people, right? And so you can't, if you can't gracefully handle things because your, your CPTSD symptoms get out into the room, then, you know, trauma, it's an injury, right? It's injuring you. It's holding you back. It's an injury to your ability to connect. And so connections feel fraught and not connecting with people 
Here's the problem. It can make it impossible to heal. So that instinct might be to pull away from people to deal with all those triggers, but it's only going to get worse if you stop dealing with people. So the contrary action is to, in a measured way, not like all at once, you don't just throw yourself into the center of the party. If this is hard for you, if it's triggering for you, it, it's to connect with people a little at a time every day. And this is a huge part of what I teach and in my connection boot camp. And if it's a big issue for you, you might want to check that course out. I'll be sure there's a link down in the description section for you on that. You need to simultaneously work to calm your triggers and then also work that muscle of connecting with people. So calm yourself, connect, calm, connect, calm, connect. I call it titration, which is from medicine and science. A little at a time, see how you do. A little more, see how you do. All right, number six, another sign of demoralization is escapism. And this is where we try to get away from the pain of our present reality and away from anxiety about what might happen in the future by using fantasies or drugs or booze or running away or quitting things or magical thinking or making up platitudes to justify huge problems like it's all good or monogamy is for losers anyway, or he abuses me, but that's because he was so wounded by his mother when he was a kid and he needs me to stand by him. That's magical thinking. When you live demoralized and you've lost touch with the difference between what is good and healthy and what is, what is irresponsible and evil, you can justify just about anything you want. And this is dangerous because not only can it hurt you, it can hurt other people and it will further damage your awareness of good. It, it just chips away and grinds you down, creates the illusion that good is your enemy. You know, you run into people who really think that their thinking is so distorted. All right. Finally, the ugliest result of demoralization. Number seven is blame, blame. Demoralization thrives when you don't have the strength to face your own mistakes. And instead you place the blame on other people in your life, even if it takes wild stretches of your imagination to do it. Now, healing has a fighting chance when you take serious time for self-examination, when you question all your problems and ask yourself, which part of this have I created? Now, this is a magic question because in any given problem, you know, there's like some portion that's not your fault at all, but there's some aspect of it perhaps that you brought to it that you could change. And this is your magic sweet spot because what you can change is what you can change. You can't change the circumstances necessarily. You can't change other people. You can't change the past, but you can change these decisions you make, the attitude you took, the words you said. You can work on those things so much of the time that is enough. You change one little thing and the rest of it melts away or they fall away or the people who are like that just leave your life. Now, a lot of people fear looking at their part in problems, but it's actually really safe because it just goes without saying that when it happened, you didn't know any better. There was something going on in you that you couldn't really manage a different choice at that time. And most of your problems, they were created for you by the people who abused you. So that beam of light, that hope that comes when you find a piece of the problem that these days you have the ability to change, this is precious. When I first started doing this, when I first discovered how potent it was to look at my part in problems, I just went wild. I just wanted to blame myself for everything and not out of self-attack, but because it was such a high to go, oh my gosh, I have control over something. I just wanted control over everything, which of course I don't have, you don't have. Now over time, I could see that not everything was my fault, but those that were, were very powerful. 
I had to only change a little bit about myself before a whole bunch of stuff started changing like a domino effect. That's why it's easier than it seems. Like you look at all your problems at once and you're just like, how will I ever hack through all of these? It's like, just start with one. Start with something that you can change. See what happens. Growing up traumatized breaks your ability to connect with people. It breaks down moral order. It damages your perception, your discernment about your relationships. And in that void, it's easy to be driven by fear and anger and resentment and blame. Everyone pays the price when one of us becomes separated from what's good. So if you're ready to change, to heal your life and become a source of hope for other people, ask yourself, are you ready to take a step up and renounce these negative aspects of yourself? Even if you don't know how to change, you don't know where it's headed, you don't know what it's supposed to look like, just begin and take the first contrary action that you can see in front of you. You can't help but have that lead to a revelation of what your second step is going to be. It's like walking in a fog at first. If you can see one thing, just do it where you are. Don't, you don't have to know the root cause. You don't have to know the other steps. Just the thing that you can see needs fixing that you feel like you could possibly try. Try that. Start where you are. Your life is important. Your experience can be used for good. And with healing, you're going to have more focus and more energy to do it. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.